2019, when myself writing for uh, my Trek World Tour team and Alex and Lockie of EF uh, came to uh, Dirty Kanza, now Unbound, you know, it was kind of like the, oh my gosh, the World Tour riders are coming and people thought we were going to show up in our team buses with our massage therapists and, you know, pro mechanics and, and all this stuff right and it, it mean it and did you no it could not have been further from <laughs> poor alex and Lockie wrote in baggies at least i used normal shorts and jersey <laughs> welcome to another episode of fuerza inside of the mind of the ridden athlete i'm your host mig aka grasshopper today i had a chance to sit down and talk with peter stetna santa rosa local boulder transplant a lover of all things bikes and beer. We'll talk about this transition from the World Pro Tour, life as a privateer, his event, Stetna's Paydirt, which had to be postponed due to the fires in Tahoe. We'll discuss that more and the impacts on the communities up there, as well as the robust and committed and fun-loving cycling community in NorCal. And lastly, We'll spend some time talking about the fastest and funnest known times. I'm not envious, I must say, of the busy schedule Pete's had, though I do have a little bit of FOMO looking at the photos of all the adventures. Anyway, stick around as we talk with this legend, Pete Stetna. Well, Mig, I'm going to say that this podcast of yours we're both uns- unsponsored podcasts, but this one is going to be sponsored by Guayaki because I'm sitting here um, starting to uh, get my brain, brain cells firing so we can have a good discussion. And Sportful because we actually share that sponsor. So we've done a lot of cool adventures with them and um, they support me and they make what I do possible and they make what you've been doing possible. Thank you. Absolutely. I hear that. And Guayaki has been with us uh, for years now. It's a local company out of Sebastopol. Super good folks. Sportful. Best clothing I've ever worn. They're local. Amen. Right on. All right. Welcome, Pete. Thanks for coming out to uh, join me in the bike shop here and uh, talk bikes. Yeah, I think, uh, is this your first in-person one? This is the first real life, real person. <laughs> I'm looking across the table, seeing you, and I'm. It's I'm, a lot better than the Zoom. Still, you can't substitute it. You can't. You can't. And unfortunately, and and what we're finding out is with busy schedules, it's not just COVID, but the fact people are all over the place. So it's been good. But anyways, thanks for making the time to come over. I know you've been super busy, and. Uh, no, I feel like we've been chips in the night lately. So it was good to finally sit down and have an excuse to catch up, man. This is this is nice. Yeah. Um, so I. I Want to start out just a little bit, you know, to, to touch base on what's going on right now. And we're in Sebastopol and there's blue skies and I had a great mm. ride and you had a great ride. But we know that uh, in your second home up in Tahoe and in the communities up there, they've been hit really hard and you just had to cancel your event. And so I just want right. to give you a, a second just to speak speak to that and what's going on, how it's been for you guys and for your and Bike Monkey. And I know it's been been tough. Thanks. Um yeah, you know, this this little NorCal cycling community of ours is pretty tight-knit, and everyone goes to each other's events. You know, I do grasshoppers whenever I can fit them in, and, you know, you were registered to come come ride the pay dirt and support what I was trying to get off the ground there. And, like, actually, t- the event is supposed to happen today. Today is September 11th of our recording, and that was, today was pay dirt day. Um, and I woke up this morning, and I checked the AQI, 
and it was green and crisp skies and the Nevada forests aren't actually closed. So technically we could have all had a great day out there, but, um, you know, there's still some evacuations in Tahoe, uh, it was two weeks out, and the Calder fire was knocking on South Lake's door. It was the most important, fi- I mean, most important, most uh, uh, extreme danger for any wildfire burning at the moment two weeks ago. Uh, and they basically evacuated everyone down into Nevada, where our event was, so all the hotels were full, and they had all the... Um, all the, the farm animal, animals were evacuated literally to our venue, our park. So there's just horse poop. And, and, and like, I don't even think they could have cleaned it up in time for us. Um, and then there was the smoke. And it's like smoke is fickle just because it's good one day and bad the next. So, um, yeah, we had to pull the pin till, uh, till next spring, unfortunately. But, um, you know, everyone was pretty understanding about it. And, you know, we didn't we were able to roll everybody over. Yeah, that's great. And and the best thing, uh, best news of that is that people have been able to go back to their homes and exactly. uh, it sounds like things are, think they're making good progress. Well, anyways, uh, um, sorry about that. And, and yeah, like you said, we're doing each other's events. I was really stoked to be there, but I had to go ride Lake Sonoma instead today, which <laughs> wasn't so bad. And that was affected by another fire. It's only my second time since it burned. Um, and the Hillsburg Running Company and the Army Corps have mm. done a bunch of, bunch of work and it was actually riding really, really nice. Um, some of the fire that came through there looks like some healthy burns, uh, clearing the undersco- understory. So it's it's going to be nice. Um, it's a little bit loose in sections, but it's it's late summer. So I I feel like it's our turn to have like a year off in Sonoma County without fire. You know, like it, Tahoe's getting it now and everywhere else. But um, so I mean, we're not even in proper fire season yet, too, which is crazy. Normally, it's October, November here during the Indian summer. Um, but you know, we've had some good socked-in summer-style foggy mornings. Um, and you know, and, and speaking to events, you know, like we kind of started before I sat down talking about like this crowded calendar. But I think it's only getting more crowded because you know, we realize with the painters, like, and Carlos at Bike Monkey's, like just fall events in the West coast is too much of a lottery. Now it's just, you, you're either dealing with your own fire and smoke or someone else's smoke. That's just landing there. And just the way things are trending, it's like, I mean, it has to be spring and summer. If you want to have like a legit chance at <laughs> holding your event. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and for us with the hoppers, it's always been rain or shine. And the biggest thing for us was, was the rain and the flooding. And so we've, what, since 98 been doing it. And I remember many times, uh, going out the weekend before and looking at old calves and knowing that we had 72 hours for the Creek to drop. And sometimes it would be like at 12 feet, 12 feet high going, well, well, we'll <laughs> see. Or, or going for Marshall Chilena Valley, you'd have to check the tide tables. Cause over, oh, at, yeah. St- over at Stemple Creek, like it could be have not rained for a while, but if it was a high tide, you know, floods leaving tomorrow's. And so, but I never crossed my mind to think about fires, but yeah, that's, that's certainly something. The new reality, but (laughs) in in the new, in the new reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And speaking of busy calendars, I've noticed, uh, as probably most people that are on social media or reading Velo news that like, what the hell? I mean, what haven't you done this year? I, I, I want to give you a chance to speak. Just, you know, COVID happened. You were locked yeah. up. You got creative doing some some virtual things uh, with some FKTs. Uh, yeah. And I don't know what you've been all, all what 
It's been an amazing year for you. I've been getting some flack from some of my colleagues for racing too much and making them making them look lazy. Um, I, to be honest, I I think I bit off too much this year. Um, I'm pretty strapped in terms of the travel right now. I've had once things were properly going in May, I had basically four free weekends until I end my season in November, and it was basically just this feeling of two factors. One is just with COVID 2020, just feeling like I missed out on everything. And so like every event, I was like, yes, I want to do that. You know, I was like, I think I had this subconscious catch up mentality and B, like there are so many cool races and they're all all different. They're all different styles, whether it's, you know, this gravel grinder, like unbound or this, you know, old Kaz style low gap thing or and everything in between right mountain bike and stage racing gravel races now um and, and i just wanted to do them all i want to experience them all because technically this is almost like my rookie gravel season as a full-time gravel racer because 2020 didn't happen right so um that said i i have learned how to start saying no better because that's actually my biggest weakness um and and the wife has been good at helping me pick and choose. So next season, I'm, I hope it'll be more uh, concise. Yeah, that, and exactly. It's good. To, uh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the pent upness of doing everything and not knowing if it's going to be be stopped again. The uniqueness, the, the excitement of it, um, and the business of the calendar. I've noticed. You know, with things being stopped, I, I can't remember. Specific, give a specific number to how many new events popped up this year, but there was a lot. It's, I mean, there's a demand. There's a kind of a formula for what it looks like, for what's going to make people stoked mm-hmm. out on their bikes. And uh, it looks a lot uh, like I was mentioning this to someone a while back. I pulled out a 94 dirt rag, and it used to be for mountain biking. If you <laughs> wanted a schedule, you bought dirt rag, right? right. And you looked at the back. And you flip through May or whatever and had all the states and there's just dozens and dozens and dozens of mountain bike race because it was fun. It was new. People wanted to do it. And it was like, hey, let's throw on a race. So it's interesting. That's that's happening now. Um, some will last. Some will turn into other things. Uh, others won't. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the – and I know it was a bit tongue-in-cheek with you when you were talking about uh, – not the privateer because that was mm-hmm. you employing yourself and, and engaging with sponsors, but with the ruining gravel <laughs> and the sort of professionalization yeah. of it. And I want to, I mean, it's happening yeah. whether it's your fault or not. I think it was the tide was the wave was cresting, yes. um, but it's changing and will continue to change. What does it feel like to you just a year and a half after starting this gravel campaign of yours? Um, yeah, you know, well, the, speaking to that calendar, first of all, it's just, it is so varied. And I think someone said there's like 700 gravel races nationwide. I mean, so it's impossible to not have an overlap. And there's big ones and small ones. And it's, and they're all so different, which is why, again, I wanted to like see them all. Because like, a gravel race in California with our crazy hills is totally different than like a OG gravel race in Ohio, for example. And they all have their own flair and their own community. And people, I think, travel for gravel to experience another culture too. It's very, you know, it's it's about community. It's culture centric. You you do more than just show up and ride a bike and get out of there. Um, the 
the ruining gravel thing is pretty funny. It was a very uh, tongue-in-cheek joke, and some folks who came into the conversation a little behind or a little late uh, didn't quite get it. But basically, in 2019, when myself writing for uh, my Trek World Tour team and Alex and Lockie of EF uh, came to uh, Dirty Kansas, now Unbound, you know, it was kind of like the oh my gosh, the World Tour riders are coming and people thought we were going to show up in our team buses with our massage therapists and, you know, pro mechanics and, and all this stuff, right? And it, it, I mean, it... And did you? No, it could not have been further from... <laughs> poor Alex and Lockie rode in baggies. At least I used normal shorts and jersey. <laughs> but, um, you know, like, and, and we were just having a fun time and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, all a bunch of the other guys like were attacking and stuff, Colin and Ted, and they were given and we we're like oh, this is real racing. This isn't a la-di-da like, group ride for 200 miles. Um, and then, you know, gloves were off and it was a proper race and we had such a good time. But, you know, so everyone thought we were going to ruin gravel. And I don't think anyone blamed us for ruining gravel at that race. But then, you know, I had that light bulb moment through the season. And so then when I kind of had this aha moment being just like everybody else doing gravel rides, I, I'm doing it for the fun. I'm not chasing a paycheck or some sort of like results or fame or, or anything that people sometimes troll me on the internet for. It's literally just like you, like I want to just have fun doing these events. This is why I've done the grasshoppers every winter that I've been in Santa Rosa. You know, it's just a fun day on the bike, no different from anyone else. And I just happen to really enjoy going fast on my bike too. Like I really enjoy the competition. So, um, I was like, yes, I can actually make a living doing this full time. Like the moment is now. And I saw that opportunity. Um, and so it was like, yeah, like technically maybe I am like the first quote unquote gravel pro. So it was kind of this, this tongue in cheek joke. Like everyone thought the pros were going to ruin it. Okay, here I am. I'm the pro. I'm the bad guy. I'll be the villain, you know? And, and that's, that's all it was. Um, Ted King to his credit, he was doing it before me. It's just like he was so early to this movement. And, you know, I think he'll actually say he almost stumbled into it, you know, that um, you couldn't say that. You couldn't say I'm a gravel pro yet. And I don't even think he still calls himself that. Um, but uh, well, I, I have to say, you know, I appreciate so both. I mean, I remember Ted and coming out to early the grasshoppers and to geysers and he kind of stumbled upon ours. Lawrence, Lawrence Tendam stumbled upon it. Levi was peaking for a while, not sure if he'd come out, and then he became hooked in you. But I'm glad that you're at the helm because I do know, and, and knowing you not just as the athlete on the internet, but as a friend, but that 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 you mean what you say in terms of like it's out there. You're doing it for fun, and I know it's difficult. Once one is a bike racer, yeah, and I and I take this really to heart in planning the events. I know there's a group that that's really important to, and I don't want to discredit that in planning the event. It needs to make sense for those people who are competitive. And a lot of people aren't in that category. But if we like to ride in that way, and I still like that way, I'm going to be 51 next week. And it's not the same, but yes. like, I like getting to that point. So I, I get that you still want to be doing that. Yeah. And I'm wondering, do you... So next year, let's say, so, so UCI is knocking on the door, USAC's knocking on the door. They have a gra there's going to be like official gravel worlds. What's going to be your, do you like, okay, well, I guess <laughs> I have to go to that. And then, okay, maybe Philippe's there and Sagan's there. <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, uh, now what? You know, and that's, that's the thing is I didn't get in this to just chase points. Like, I don't want a 
concise gravel calendar or a series and chasing things to qualify for some race. Like that's not why I want to pick and choose races that I enjoy that I personally want to do. And I do like the big ones, obviously, for the, the level of competition and all that. But, you know, this is just actually in the news is that this uh, ex-Italian pro is like, I'm going to make a gravel race in Italy. And he's like, it's going to be pro only. And they're basically going to do this. I'm going to try and invite these pro teams. It's like, oh, so another Strada Bianchi. You're literally just making another Strada Bianchi in a different part of Italy. Like it's a road race off road. And that's not a gravel race. Um, and it's going to come. There's going to be that stuff. Um I, I guess I'll probably race a Gravel Worlds if it is there because, you know, that is kind of my moniker as I'm, I'm a pro trying to do this. But I'm definitely not going to prioritize it any more than Unbound or SBT or a Hopper. Like, it's just going to be another race for me that, yeah, I'll probably put it on my calendar. Um, and it just reminded me, actually, it's like, it's really funny that... Um, we're calling this all racing now because I actually remember a really good story with you and me and Levi. Um, fuck, this must have been early when I was a young Sonoma County transplant. So maybe 2012, 13, Levi had just kind of dealt with some of his USADA stuff. Um, and technically the hoppers weren't races. It was the Grasshopper Adventure Series and there weren't any points. And it was before, you know, you had actually started getting beyond the North Bay kind of thing, beyond the, the NorCal scene. And um, and some guys were really flustered that Levi showed up and I kind of became collateral in that, if you remember. And you really bailed me out because um, Levi was technically banned. So he wasn't supposed to compete. But, you know, he's all like our friends. Like we text each other. This was like a hard group ride. This is how we all viewed the hoppers, right? Yeah. Um, and... You know, he showed up and rode, and I don't even think he won, but there were some... I some, don't exactly remember how I played. I do remember <laughs> getting, like, an email or a phone call yeah. the next day and thinking, ooh, okay, this is on on the radar. Yeah, and, and oh. USA Cycling was like, yeah. did he race while he was banned? Oh, my gosh. And they're like... And then because I was there doing it for fun, too, they were like, well, Pete, technically, you know, you have a license and you can't do an unsanctioned race. Otherwise, we'll ban you. Well, I you. think so. One of the reasons we started getting the the pros uh, at the Grasshopper. So back in the early days, I mean, uh, well, Koza came. We'd have mm-hmm. the, the Bissell team. There was a, a, a pro from New Zealand. Um, and it was like they weren't sanctioned. They were called training rides. But we knew the local talent was, was pretty deep. So they were going to be, you know, big efforts. And yeah. if the Canadian mafia was down there, it was going to be, it was going to be hard and they couldn't go do, uh, any USA race. I think that was the case for you on a world pro tour team. You couldn't right. do a national level race, right? No, I either had to be at a world tour race or training by myself at home instead of a good hard group ride with friends. Um, that's crazy. Hey, I, I remember I, though that like USA cycling emailed us and you were basically like, Okay, technically, there's no prize money, there's no prizes, so it's just an adventure ride. And they're like, okay, technically, sure. And you bailed me out, so I didn't get in trouble. Uh, well, good. I'm <laughs> Thank glad. you, Miggy. Sure, you bet. You bet. So I, I want to go back a little bit, and I remember this, and it was endearing. So for me, and, and I think some people that have followed the hoppers that have gotten bigger have a hard time you know, believing this, but like, if you're if you have another job and you have kids, you totally understand. But you know, I have three kids now, so I had two teaching full time. Like, 
it was everything just to get the hoppers together and get oh, to yeah. the next one. Like it wasn't on my radar, like following other races or what was going on in the development of stuff. And, you know, and I also never used the pros coming in to really promote the series. Like, Hey, come ride with so-and-so, or this is going to happen. Um, right. And, you know, it was always, for me, it was important to bring out the egalitarian of it. Like, yeah, when it comes to racing, you're at the next level. If we go out for a fun, fine ride, I feel like I'm your equal, which is right. rad. Um, and I wanted the events to be like that. But I remember getting texts from you. Uh, you were in a hotel room somewhere in Europe. And I was like, you know, you're like in between stages. And you're like, hey, what's going on? Is the hopper tomorrow? And I was like, <laughs> you know, just to know that there's like this love for our local cycling culture in this fun event. Um, it's I fun. thought that was cool. It's, thank you, man. It's uh, I had so much fun. And, you know, these were... You know, that's that's kind of what you this has gotten known for is the the OG gravel races. It's uh, now that it's hot, but you know these were the events where my first hopper was Old Kaz in when I first moved here in end of 2011. So 2012 hopper was my, the Old Kaz in January was my first one. Showed up on a hardtail mountain bike with uh, like the narrowest tires I could find, and I think Jeff Kabush was there on a full on like road bike or cyclocross bike, and it was. What everyone loves talking about now, you know, but it was, <laughs> we were just doing it. Yeah, we were, we were just doing it and just giving her. And, and I know, I think I got away with it long. I, I think it still worked by calling it, maybe it was prophetic and calling it an adventure series because I knew I wanted to compete. Like I, wa I wanted this yeah. event to have the flavor of, of, of uh, a very competitive event when you weren't work, waiting for your friends. There was bragging rights for winning it. But it, it wasn't to be built up around the competition. And I think people really embodied that. And I had to keep, keep putting that out there as it grew mm -hmm. so that people would come with that expectation. Yeah. But you know what? We're looking out for each other. Like we're not running stop signs. It's all the things that like, cause when you just call it a race, yeah, people don't always rise to their higher selves. You it's know? And, true. And when, especially if they're coming used at the time, people, if they're racing mountain bikes, it was a little different, but in the road scene, people were used to racing, Cat four, 35 to 39, yeah. cat three, and these age groups and stuff, and always, you know, having a, a shot at the top. But we were all together, so the safety was important. Mm. That's well put. And, uh, you know, that's always kind of been the style is I think it was last year, the last thing to happen before COVID started, the, the Sweetwater Hopper in February. And we were all ripped apart on Fort Ross Road and there was some roadworks on Highway 1 because there always is because that's the most expensive road in the world to keep keep going. But like literally we all stopped for like 20 minutes and, <laughs> sorry and about that. it all just came back together and guys who were drop caught back on. But it was cool. Like no one was trying to be aggro and like slither up the side. And, you know, it's it was just... This, this is how it goes. And like, there's a lot of self-policing. Lottery. Which I like, you know, people look at, you know, you know catch, you know, for riders' behavior and safety and etiquette. And yeah. I think that's gone a long ways as well is because it's always been men and women starting together and yes. people holding other guys, holding other guys accountable both for how they ride and their attitudes towards the women in the field. And I think that's always been really important to me. And I'll thank my sister for that, who mm. would call me on anything where I was like maybe out of line when I was younger. Right. <laughs> so kind of thinking about, you know, and she was a very successful, very good, good racer. And so um, I'm happy that that's like, the hoppers have been known for that without like, that wasn't on my bullet list. Like, oh, the media's watching this. I better do. It's just like that. Just made. That's how we should ride. Like yeah. looking out for each other. Men and women should have an equal spot in the field. There shouldn't be, um, you know. Amen. 
you know, trying to be, I'm an idealist. Maybe it's, a, it's connected to like the way I'm as a teacher. Like it's a profession where I can be idealistic in my little bubble. I know that kids yeah. have their families and their world and their politics yeah. and gone. Anyways, let me ask you a little bit about what, it, uh, you know, your, your time as a world pro tour racer, because, um, mm. I know you overcame, uh, a career ending injury for all practical purposes that, yeah. that wasn't. And I want to step back a few years to that because I know since you're, you're a national champion, I think in 2005 mm-hmm. as a junior and under 23 as well. So from a pretty young kid of a family cycling family, um, I mean, that's what you've been doing as a bike racer. Yeah. What was the moment like when you, I mean, you couldn't have been even 30 yet when that happened, right? Maybe no. just late twenties. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, 27, 28 or so. But it ha- there had to have been a moment when you're like, okay, is this it? And, and if you decide to push on, what was it that motivated you to persevere and continue racing after that? Well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a bit of identity crisis. I mean, most of the cycling world kind of wrote me off with that crash. And most people thought I'd be lucky if I walked normally. Um, and like you said, like, I mean, that was all I knew. I came from, you know, thoroughbred cut and dry reclusive road racer like tour de france was the end all and be all and um and i've been chasing that dream for a while and i was still on a very good trajectory you know i was kind of not at my prime yet i had bigger goals for winning bigger races i was kind of like starting to move up the ranks within the bmc team at the moment you know like you know still like doing domestic duty for you know like tj at the tour de france but like I was supposed to be, you know, leading the team at the Tour of California and one of the favorites there that year and that all that kind of stuff, you know. And so to to have that trajectory as a young hungry pro in front of you still and then to have it totally sidelined and like I I mean I you had to think about like what's next? What's after cycling? And I know a lot of pros don't think about that. And I've had teammates say like ah, but once you're already thinking about that, you're half, you know, you're one foot out the door. Like you had to take so much dedication to be a pro that if you are already trying to make a plan B, you're not as committed as the next guy. And, and there's, there's a little bit of that that's true, but at the same time, like (laughs) you realize like how this sport can change on a dime and how dangerous it is. And like, and financially it doesn't make sense as an athlete to not think that there's going to be an end to your sport. No, there will be an yes. end to it. And will one be set up, right? You have to start. Yeah. About and, and most guys, unless you're one of the big winners in the world tour, you need a job after this. So, yeah. And I'll need another job after gravel because gravel ain't paying the bills for, for retirement. I tell you. <laughs> so when that injury happened, I imagine I'm, I'm not ruining it that well <laughs> from the, from the shock. Right. Yeah, well, you're, you're creating jobs for you and for, and for other people. I have more questions about that, but I want to let you continue to talk a little bit about the moment of the injury. And then the, the, well, a little bit of probably it's a long story, but the, the it was, it was a big mindset switch in just that, you know, I, I basically had this moment where I was like, even if I cannot race professionally again, I'm on one of the biggest well-funded teams of the world. They have every sports scientist at their disposal. Like I want a working leg, you know, I want to play soccer with my future kids someday and enjoy hikes in Yosemite. So I, I have these tools in front of me, so I'm going to treat rehab like it's my job. And even if, racing after this doesn't work out 
at least I have a better chance at having a normal leg again. So basically, I treated recovery like it was my pro training. I was doing five days a week with um, Dave Townsend, who is a he, he rides hoppers. He is one of the yeah. best PTs He's I've good, ever dude. met. He's really good. Um, and we just he committed to me and hunkered down like hour, two hours every day for three months plus homework and on the weekends and. It was like training on a bike, but just like rehab and bending my knee and, and stuff like that. So I, uh, I had very much a uh, my back is against the wall mentality. But at the same time, you know, there's that other level of you that would be a much longer conversation. But you start to realize what's important and take stock of, you know, your personal relationships more and, and the things that really matter in life besides sport. So... Yeah, speaking of that, let me jump back to what I question I had for for your event, and I think I heard this from you when you were planning it. You were still racing for Trek when you were planning your first uh, your first mm-hmm. uh, event, and commenting about how mentally tiring that was. But I also got the sense that you, in connecting with the High Five Foundation, that doing something that's that's bigger than just um, your results as, as an athlete. And I think the life as an athlete is very tricky. And this has to do with the mental health part of it as well Is like, it has to be all consuming the focus, the time, the dedication, the yeah. routine, the health, the nutrition. And at the same time, overly focused on that doesn't, don't, I don't think makes us the best athletes we can be. And so I think in connecting I just want to ask, was that helpful for you when you started thinking of your event and like thinking after your injury where someone else did that kind of yeah. help you maybe balance the way you're looking at your future? and A and little racing? bit, you know, and, and this is, you know, another reason why I slowly got pushed to gravel in this more fulfilling discipline of the sport because, um, and I haven't told a ton of people, um, I've said it here and there, but basically, um, yeah, so, so, the first year of this event, the, what is now the Pater, was actually the Stetna Sierra Prospect, which is a road fondo around in Lake Tahoe, North Lake Tahoe area. You were there at the inaugural year. And I had basically gone to our mutual buddy Carlos and been like, I want a namesake event because I want to give back to the community. And I've had a life-altering injury. My dad has a traumatic brain injury Ed has not had a good recovery. He's severely handicapped. And so there's this foundation in Truckee called the High Fives Foundation that literally helps injured mountain athletes, whether it's skiing, uh, military, paragliding, people who have been on the unfortunate side of an accident. Um, and that was a way to like for me to like support those who've gone through a similar thing and have not been as lucky as perhaps I have. And... Um, I was in a contract negotiation. So I, so I, the event went great the first year and, you know, we did it the second year before I started moving towards gravel and, and during a contract negotiation, um, one team manager sat me down and he's like, you need to rededicate yourself to cycling because I don't want to see all this shit about grand fondos and custom beer for charity. We had a custom beer for charity. So of course I promoted it. Right. And he's like, that's a project for a retired rider you're not retired. And and for me, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I'm sitting in a hotel room 300 days a year. Like, I have time to tap out emails. I have time to ask Mig, how's the hopper going? Because I'm literally sitting on my butt. I need something to do. So, like, I wanted to create this thing. And, and that attitude kind of soured that 
that monastic road vibe for me a little yeah. bit for sure like i still remember it yeah and and i think that they the i would imagine for me anyways the the importance at that juncture would be for them to check in with the athlete and 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 seeing what they're doing that the time that's being dedicated and, yeah. and the fulfillment of them because that I think having something else that's not just our, our, what we're doing as an athlete can can inspire and fulfill us and yeah. help. Well, and other you know, people. I thought <laughs> as as an athlete that they had hired or were thinking about hiring, like that would be a a feather in my cap. Oh, he's got his own event, you know, like he's marketing outside of just the racing world, or that's valuable. That speaks to the masses. And instead of oh no no, that's detracting from just the performance on the world tour race, which is the only goal. And right. I, I don't know. I struggle yeah. with that. And I do know, uh, I think we talked about this a little bit where you had a plan for, uh, um, or maybe it played out that you didn't think you had a contract. So you had your plan for your, your gravel season and then you, um, they did re re up your contract, but right. you stuck, you're like, Hey, these are the events I want to do. And I think it was BWR and Leadville. So and you saw the, the results and the interaction from BWR. That I got really lucky. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I had suffered instead of the leg issue. I I had a tough career. I had mono uh, or no, sorry, not mono, full blown Epstein Bar. I had EBV Epstein Bar virus the 2018 season, and it went undiagnosed most of it. Um, I had a pretty piss poor season most of the year. Um, I was not myself, and um, I had done hoppers. You know, I had heard about the dirty Kanza, even though I hadn't done it yet. You know, um, and I knew it was kind of blowing up and I was like that was my plan B like hey I'm gonna do this you know like I'm gonna do this I didn't think it would be what it is now but that was already kind of in my the works and I was making plans as you know we had talked about and then um Trek came back with a you know I kind of got a little healthier pulled my shit together got some late season results and they were like you know yeah we'll give you 2019 too like we believe in you again and I had already gone far enough down that road and they had delayed enough on me that I said, okay, well, I want to do BWR, Unbound, and Leadville. Like I got those actually written into the contract and Trek Marketing thought it was a great idea. Trek Racing in Italy, they didn't quite understand. Um, But uh, so it actually was really helpful because it was kind of like a soft launch because I got to kind of like, while still doing the world tour stuff, kind of tow the water in in the gravel stuff too um and it just all it really really was was i guess validation in the end like oh yeah this really makes sense now um yeah and gave you kind of time to build for for the next year yeah what what's it like for you with a with a typical week and let me start that with a little bit because i want to poke you a little bit on this and this mm. is for you and ted and ian and the mm-hmm. and the world pro tour racers that are winning gravel because personally as a grasshopper I, I thought it's been cool that the pros win but i also thought it was a little funny when ted would come and win and levi would win yeah yeah we want to be competitive but like and i know i'm hearing from you you when you have those bigger events when you're really being challenged by a bigger pool mm-hmm. of winning uh races because it seemed like there's only so many riders right now that can have the volume that you guys right. do for these big events. And there's maybe 12 of them. I'm seeing some crossover from some of the road pros and some of the mountain bikers that mm-hmm. it's a really cool mixture right now. And the yeah. bigger ones where there's some of the top mountain bikers and the top road and top gravel are kind totally. of similar fitness where they didn't realize it. Maybe yeah. could I ride with the world pro tour? And you're like, could right. I ride with, with a world champion mountain biker. But like, 
in a typical week, like the volume, tell me about what a, a week of, of training is, is like um, for you now. And does that compare to the, to the past? Um, it's different, you know, doing, you know, this, this privateer business model of mine, right? Um, it's, I'm my own boss, but I'm also my own everything, my own agent, logistics manager, uh, podcast host, unique author, right? Like I'm wearing a lot of different hats and results in racing are only one part of the puzzle. That's my main part of the puzzle for my personal brand, right? Because I'm the unapologetic guy coming to race and ruin gravel or whatever, right? But it's, I mean, I am, have that monthly column on, on Velo News, right? I am doing this podcast now. I have this project for Sonoma County, not for Sonoma County, but you know, I'm, there's a bike ride if from from a hotel group that you know I'm taking people out on my local training rides, and so there's a lot of other and the never-ending social media. Um, there's a, there's a lot of um, hats to wear, and very often now instead of training being the most important, it's fitting it in between obligations, just like you, just like any working you know, any working folk, and. Um, that said, like I still know what I need to get me fit. I know how to train myself into shape. Um, I've got an encyclopedia of workouts and training blocks I've done for a decade in the world tour. And I also am very lucky to have had the experience of those grand tours. You know, when you do a grand tour, it changes your body. Like yeah, right. it's, <laughs> you're more robust, you can handle more. So um, I definitely have an asset there. Um, the total hours are not the same on the world tour now in terms of on the bike hours, but I am more busy than I've ever been in my life. Yeah. And I would, I, I would guess, but I'll let you speak to that, that it probably feels really good to, though it's probably very mentally taxing and, and, uh, you're finding uh, ways to work this out with your wife, I imagine, <laughs> but to be calling the shots and to be your own boss and not someone say, Hey, that's not a good idea. So I, I would imagine after a year of being a, or years of being a pro that that's gotta be pretty liberating. It's so much more gratifying. You know, I've, people have really told me I smile more than I ever did in the, the world tour years. And it's just, I'm, it's a lot more work, but it's a lot more fun and it's your work. You know, it, if it's a success, it's credit to you. And if it's a failure, it's your fault. You can't blame an agent not getting you the right contract or, you know, some other team tactic and, you know, playing favoritism between. It's just it's just you and your hard work and the work you put in is the results you'll see. Let me ask you about that and about work and about salary and income, because I do remember you were one of the folks or maybe as you started it. Um, you know, in cycling, it's, if one is a, a fan or has raced, it's apparent that the sponsorship changes and ends and people's uh, contracts end at the last minute. And, yeah. and it's, it's rare that a team is a team unless you're talking like Kazakhstan or something, right? right? So <laughs> you, the idea of having like a number that represents you. And I think part of and that is... those guys aren't getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> they're not getting paid. <laughs> that team. Um, but, you know, so... The idea is getting a, a, a living wage, which I think some people do then. The yeah. idea, I like the idea of the privateer, but I do know, like, as a professional athlete, doing what you're doing, managing all that stuff mentally, if you're 22, 23, starting out and doing all that, that's, that's really tough. Could. Yeah. I've been trying to teach some young kids, like, kind of how to think about it. It's a much more entrepreneurial mindset. But, you know, in the world tour, it's it's pretty 
straightforward. It's run like any pro sport that we follow here. I mean, in Europe, it is a high-level pro sport. So I'm talking, you know, agents and teams and managers and salaries and, you know, basically you... I had an agent my whole career. They're still a good friend of mine, but um, they don't work for me anymore. But, um, you know, they would had 20 managers on speed dial and depending on what each team would want per season, they would shop me out and, hey, you want an American, you want a climber, you want a sprinter. Um, and then they would get me a deal with the team. It would be one done deal. The team has all those sponsors. Um boom, boom, two years, one year, whatever it is, and you're good to go. Um, and then, like, you just focused on, and you on the bike racing. Um, and that's how most pro sports are. Um, the downside of that is I always struggled with that because you could have a really good relationship with a team and the staff and, and even the, the main manager at the team, but come contract time, it became really impersonal and they treat you like a stock market. You know, I would have team managers in my career uh, hold out on giving the offer, even though I was like killing it with some results. And then, you know, eventually all, all the form goes and, and you crash or you get sick or whatever. And, you know, your, your stock market value drops a little bit and then they lowball you, you know, and, and some team managers purposely, even though they plan on, signing you they would wait till late till you're sweating and you're freaking out and you'll take a lower offer which for me as a person-to-person negotiation i really struggled with because you know you don't know what you're it's it's october teams are filling up and like you don't know if you'll have a job in three months (laughs) like if not like i need to start going to school again you know or whatever it is so i always really struggled with even though that was the game even if they planned on signing you again that was, I just, it, it kept wearing on me. And I think I eventually started to crack on that system. Yeah. And tell me about too, it, as, as a cyclist and as a climber, it's not just the expectations and over that, that mind game there, but like, what about the demands and expectations of, of your body, your form, your weight? You see climbers just like mm. the thing, ridiculously thin. There must've been points where it was feeling unhealthy to you or expectations oh, yeah. that on you that you're just like, this is, this is messed up. It's yeah. As a climber, your power to weight was the most important. So you really had to have, I wouldn't, it's not like clinically, but you would have to almost have a mild eating disorder to be successful at your job. Not just because like, you had to watch every ounce of weight on your body. And, and when the top one percent of bike racers in the world are all doing that game you have to do it just as hard or harder um especially as a climber with a, a power lander or sorry a, a power rider a flat lander classics rider you can kind of get away with a bit more just focus on the strength but climbing you really had to be rail thin um and i think you're actually starting to see that go over the top um and i think this is just my personal opinion but as the sport has cleaned up, and luckily I was in the clean generation, right? Um, I never was introduced to, to some of the heavy stuff, the EPO era. But I think, you know, that was kind of like the way to get by. Um, but people who are competitive are going to find every advantage they can, right? And so now I think I noticed as my career progressed, 
ex- eating become more and more extreme. And I think guys, you know, with without being able to take drugs as before, the next uh, stone unturned was was weight. And so I think you actually saw, and I've had team doctors comment that uh, body fat percentages have dropped dramatically in like the last decade as the sport cleaned up because that's where guys can go faster in a natural way still. But you see it go over the top. You see guys who get rail thin and get some really nice results for one or two seasons, but then they can't hold it because like in the long term, that screws your hormones. Yeah, it'd be interesting. There'd be another, uh, I was talking with Todd today to have a discussion about the long-term health effects as well, you know, when you're, when you're, I mean, your the body hormonal, like suppressing that. those hormones that, that long for enough years in a row can have some real long-term consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, connected to that, the mental part, you know, and I haven't really delved into the, as much as I'd intended to do with this podcast that I think over time it will, will go that way. Um, in writing with Raj, I don't know if he made this up, but I came upon him on the USAL ride one time. I was mm-hmm. riding fine with him at limit, and he was going backwards, which is kind of surprising for him. <laughs> like, hey, Roger, what's going on? And he says, Ming, I'm in the wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the pain cave, but he was in the wormhole. The wormhole. The wormhole. That that's dark, a, that's dark a Midwestern space. Ohio thing, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But that space of suffering. But it's all. it's been fascinating to me. Uh, my whole life as an athlete, like how much is hard work and ability and how much is just willing on a bike able to suffer more than someone. And I'm wondering for you, if you could look back at those days, maybe some really, really hard days, either training or racing, like what is that space? And I think us cyclists have that in common. Like right now we're just all chill or whatever, but we know if we're committed cyclists, whether at the level I raced at or at yours, like yeah. that is a place we need to go to uh, for results when we're training for something. Yes. And also I think personally to like some of us, whether it's chasing demon, demons or emptying the cup or the endorphins, what's that like on the professional level, the ability to, to suffer and to dig deep? That's mostly the job. I mean, it's, you know, physical talent is one thing and training that, but the ability to suffer, I think, is actually the most important part of bike racing. It is a sport built in suffering, and why people look up to faster people is because it is so painful if, for the true followers of the sport. And it is it is so mental. I mean, if you can just push it out of your mind a bit longer and get past the breaking point that you used to hit, that's a personal victory. If you can push your mind deeper into that that wormhole than than your competitor that's when they drop you know it's i mean if, if you look at any race like when someone drops someone else they're not suffering any less really i mean they're both on the limit to make that happen and yeah that's that is a uh and you have to do that i mean it's one thing we watch it unfold with the cameras tour california tour france but you have to be in that place in the winter, in the ability to November, December, is, January, February, on your own, or with and it gets else. fatiguing. I mean, I think that's why a lot of folks need an off season and time away from racing. I don't think it's actually the physical. It's just like I think you could push all year long. It's just like you just get so sick of hurting all the time. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, there needs to be a mental freshness in order to allow yourself to process and and to move through that, you know. And I was playing around with looking up some things because I, I, the way way of you know someone's uh, I think inaccurately quoted Buddha and and I don't couldn't really find out who said it, but that <laughs> the pain's inevitable and suffering is is optional. Um, but yet there's in some in some uh, I mean it's a kind of like a healing cathartic suffering too though you know like knowing it's you're doing it to yourself and knowing you can stop when you want and pushing through those mental barriers I mean I think there's something powerful in that and I think a lot of people probably get I mean I'm probably a little addicted to it yeah you are yeah I am and and I for the events that I've, I've organized you know for the years and I've always tried to find the sweet spot where it's they're hard and they're mm-hmm. hard and they're just hard enough where you can push yourself really hard, but you're not 200 miles. I mean, you, you, you know, the terrible too, I could put a 200 mile grasshopper on here that yeah. like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, like the why, but that, that sweet spot. And also the people like to get to that place, but with, uh, with the amount of time it takes to train for, X distance that there's like you know the sweet spot the the seventy five to mm-hmm. to ninety five mile though but yeah I agree people people need that and want that and um it you don't have to be at the front end to have no. that experience you know you could be in the middle to the back but like it's still people are finding their own limits well and that's why gravel so special is it's that shared experience right that we're doing the same course the same challenges and we hurt the same amount whether or not it took me five hours and you six hours like that's that's arbitrary the time is the arbitrary part but like we both dealt with that crazy river crossing and that stupid ass climb at the very end of the race and you know shredding a tire and lactic burn or whatever it is right but like that's that mental journey and physical journey yeah. but it's that's why it's so special right now yeah i agree and and i think one of the things that people is the cathartic thing of the of the group experience is that like so when we're suffering and there you're suffering alone or you're going deep and there you know it's so much different than when you're connected to a group of people who are going through it together it's almost like you don't experience it as much or in the right. same way or if you did the end of it you all went through it and it's that and it's that process it's like it's this journey misery loves company right it's an interesting it's an interesting <laughs> that's thing. the old saying yeah and i mean like I, I just had roger and shane and glenn and don on that we've been riding like this together for 30 years yeah and like we go out and ride it feels the same as when we were 20 exactly yeah sort of <laughs> <laughs> sort of sort of all right i'm gonna jump into right now uh the the penultimate part of the conversation cool and I, I tried to get some Pete specific this or that ones, but um, mm. some of them will recycle a little bit. You just that's I, okay. So you just have to think of what comes to mind. If I, 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 I give you recycle choice. a lot of the same questions for my own <laughs> podcast. We're just trying to do. All this right, together. so <laughs> winging it. So this or that. Okay, uh, Cal- or that. California, Colorado. Oh God, I I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Uh, right now, California, because everything's here. Um, you know, you have the mountains, but you also got the ocean and the, okay. the weather. All right, you don't get to justify or elaborate oh. on these. You just got to. Oh, oh then no, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know. Okay, maybe Canada. Okay. Uh, Boulder, California is what the posters always said. <laughs> Boulder, California. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> yeah, we're on the left coast, and that's the left side of exactly. Colorado, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Girona or NorCal? NorCal. 
was quick to respond. 100%. Yeah. Uh, lager or, or pale ale? Pale ale. Okay. Gravel roads or single track? <sighs> single track. Nice. On a gravel bike. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah. Climb or descend? Climb. No hesitation. No. Okay. I know uh, what I'm good at. <laughs> bench press or bicep curls? Ooh. What about leg day? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Uh, biceps. No, no, no. Bench press because the biceps, I'm going to justify this. <laughs> I've heard the, the biceps are all for show, but the triceps, those are the, those are the muscles that like make a difference if you're working on a house or whatever it is. Sun's out, gun's out, buddy. <laughs> okay, tacos or pasta? Tacos. Always. Mountains or ocean? Mountains. Astronaut or sailor? Sailor. Have to or get to? Ooh, that one's deep. I would, I would like to think get to, but... Depends. It's situational, man. I don't know. I don't even know what that means right now. (laughs) You could just chew on that one. Yeah, I'm going to the whole way home now. Thanks. You could chew on that one on your your way home. (laughs) On my long ride. Yeah. Well, Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I know uh, there's more to talk about. And I think it's going to be an evolving story. Uh, We're going to have some shared adventures here coming up together we didn't quite get to dive into the complexity of the busy busy race schedule that was our topic and Mm. uh, as we walked into the shop um, we can get to there another time yeah well i don't know there's going to be always some grasshoppers fitting into that busy schedule so um, we're going to hang out a lot and I am 25 minutes down the road, so we can have a round two at some point. Yeah, and with the busy schedule, I know that the COVID year, you had that spike in mind and we didn't quite do enough. So I don't know if we have to talk to your sponsors and dangle that carrot to do just enough hoppers for that <laughs> the spike so Roger doesn't have more than you. But Exactly. But we'll see. We'll have you out when, <laughs> when, it, when it makes sense. All righty. Thanks and for it, having me, Mig. You bet. And uh, good luck with the rest of your season. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.